This is BJJ Hood, tapping into Jiu-Jitsu lives on and off the mats. Hello, hello. We are back with the BJJ Hood podcast. I'm Babby, your host. And I'm Shay, your co-host. We're here to share inspirational stories about women in jiu-jitsu and how the martial art changes their lives. You know, already we're on YouTube with subtitles in Portuguese for all the interviews that are in English and subtitles in English for all the interviews that are in Portuguese. So make sure you go there and you follow us. And also on Instagram, that's where we are going to post all our new episodes, our new guests and some information about them. So make sure you're following us there too at BJJ Hood Podcast. And also follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss any of the new episodes. If you like this episode, make sure you share with your friends so they also don't miss it. Today with us, Maggie Grandati Lira. She's an American grappler, Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt competitor. Maggie is also a gym owner, and we're going to talk about the programs that she has here today. She's a multiple times world champion, Pan Ams, American Nationals, and all-colored belts. Maggie is also a 2022 European Open champion, ADCC West Coast Trial medalist, and a World and Pen Nogi Black Belt medalist. It's a huge curriculum of competitions and also much more that she does. Maggie, welcome to the VJJ Hood podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today here. Of course. Thank you for having me. It's always an honor to be able to obviously share a little bit about me, but more importantly, you know, keep female jujitsu in the face, in the eye of people, and just keep spreading our word and our stories and just our impact on jujitsu as a community. I love that. We're going to start um, with all the changes that have been happening. Um, if you follow Maggie on social media, she posted recently um, that she was retiring from competitions and she just did. We're recording this episode now in December. It's December 12th just so you know. Um, and she just did Words No Gi last week. And you want to start with that. Tell me how you feel after all those emotions, after fighting one last time, because I hope you're going to come back at some point, but yeah. at least for now. Um, how, is, how are you feeling right now? I feel really good. I feel light. I feel clear. Um, so I definitely know that I made the right choice. It was a really hard choice to make, which I think anyone who has done it knows, who has done it and came back knows, or those who are, you know, thinking about it. Um, it's always really hard, sometimes impossible to know when the right time to walk away is. Um, but it was just for me about the pros and cons and the this and that and the here and there's, you know, just weighing everything in my life out and just getting to that realization that, okay, you know, being an athlete, that phase, I don't even know if you call it a phase, that life of mine, because it's been my entire life, um, is coming to an end. It's coming to a close. Um, and it just, it just overall, it just feels like the right time. And I know, and I've known that actually even before retiring, ever since I announced it, It was kind of like a weight lifted off the shoulders. And then all the emotions that people might have saw at the World Championships was happy tears, grateful tears, proud tears, so many emotions. But I really don't think any of those tears had any ounce of sad in them. So I'm definitely 
very happy and very secure with my decision. How did you feel like stepping on last time there, like right before the matches? I also saw that you posted recently about all the little things that were happening with your uniform that they made you like change your clothes a bunch of times. Uh, but like, I know you, you talk about the gratitude that you feel of being there um, and the happiness, but like, how did it feel like you really wanted to win? You were more happy just to be there. I know there is a lot of different on those feelings too. I'm not in like I compete. I'm not a high level competitor, um, an adult or anything like that. But I know it's like it could be different. Sometimes you're just happy to step on the mats and just being there. Sometimes you really want to win and you have that focus. And right. I don't think that was your idea this time, right? Right. Yeah. No. And truthfully, it hasn't been for kind of the last three years. Um, as much as I know the level at Black Belt is very challenging, I don't doubt that I could be on the top of the podium every single time if I was training the way that, you know, the other professional athletes are training. Um, for me, the last three years, it's just been the back and forth with my business because I've been a Black Belt now for four years. And at the end of my brown belt career is really when my business started taking over and just the demand from athletes um, was just more of the priority for multiple reasons. One, it will always be my first passion. Long before jiu-jitsu, I was an athlete. And long before jiu-jitsu, I have always been into fitness. Even in college, you know, after having kind of real strength and conditioning coaches, They were definitely, and that time was definitely my biggest inspiration of that's what I wanted to do. And then when I started jujitsu after college, I was like, okay, I definitely want to get a little bit more specific with jujitsu. Granted, that has taken me to like a million different sports, but obviously because of the community I'm in and obviously my success as a jujitsu athlete, majority of those I train um, are in jujitsu. So it's always been very easy for me to choose Champion Fit, my business first, in a sense of I can't train twice a day because I only have the middle of the day open. So I can't make that early morning or evening training, you know? So there's always been that factor. Um, Champion Fit pays my bills and it always has. <laughs> you know, jujitsu, yes, there are, you know, the 000 or 0.001 athletes that are living solely off of jujitsu, you know, and then there's, I feel like the middle ground, which is kind of where I came in, where, yes, my career took off because of jujitsu, but I also do get paid when I fight. I also do travel the world to do seminars. You know, so I do make money off of jujitsu, but at the end of the day, without champion fit, you know, I wouldn't have the roof over my head. So obviously there's those two aspects that have gone into it. My battle the last couple of years was having all the success I did at the lower belts while I was training more full time, regardless that now that I have a losing record at black belt, people still kind of expect you to win you know, or definitely want to see you win. So regardless of how I walk into a tournament or a fight, there's always eyes on me, you know? 
And I always give a good fight, so like that's great. But in the back of my mind, I always wanted to win the fight, but I also didn't want it more than the girls I'm fighting. And one of my last super fights that I did, I want to say maybe it was 2021 or end of um, 2020, one of my corners, you know, he was, and this was after a year already kind of losing at black belt. And one of my professors was like, it's not technique, it's not speed, it's who wants it more. And that was such a turning point for me in both directions. It didn't motivate me to like go quit my job and work harder on the mats. It kind of made things clear to me like, okay, it is true because that's how I always won. I've never been the more technical athlete. I just walked in there like I'm not going to lose. And so it shifted my mindset and in fact, like, okay, I'm not walking into these fights like that anymore. So if I am going to fight, I need to make sure I'm walking in differently. And that was a turning point for me because like I said, it wasn't motivation to want it more. It was motivation to change my mindset, walking into the fight, enjoying fighting, enjoying competing, enjoying being an athlete rather than focused on winning. So since 2021, so a good two years, I have been fighting with incredible peace, you know, getting on to the podium, sometimes to the top of the podium. Um, but when I would lose, there wasn't that big meltdown after, you know, or the loss of sleep at night. And it just came to a place that, you know, I just was more at peace. And then obviously as time goes by, it was really when I started kind of losing to girls that I've never lost to before, you know? And that was another deciding factor where it's like, okay, even these girls that I literally used to have to not watch film on, didn't really need to warm up. I could use them as a warm up fight. Now we're starting to either match me or beat me. You know, and it was just like, okay, now it's at the point where I'm placing myself in a position that I feel I was kind of taking away the professionalism of jujitsu. Because we always, if we're watching professionals, we want to see the best fights. And I'm always going to be a hard fight. But these girls who are going in there wanting to win, I don't need to be taking energy from them. You know, I would rather see them in the semifinals and finals with a lot of energy and see two girls going head to head, battling a little bit more fresh. And that's something that a part of my retirement, definitely I want to have influence in a lot of ways, but that is definitely one of them and kind of knowing your place in the world of professional jujitsu. Because again, I'm masters. I have the option. I have the option to go to Masters 1 and compete there. I don't feel like it's fair for me to be going into these tournaments with girls who are training super hard for this and, one, maybe beating them and then losing next round, you know. Two, like I said, draining their battery or maybe they're going to get injured. And, of course, that's not my responsibility, but as a female in our sport and wanting the female professionalism to increase – I do see that as a factor that's just not necessary. It's kind of like when you see, this might be sensitive for some people, but when you see like the top 10 ranking at the end of the year, I could have been on that. I could have flown 
to an open every single weekend and gone to the super heavy division and got first or second place with two girls and worked my way up to the ranks. You know, it's all these little things that are happening in our sport that are slowing down it being more professional or keeping it from becoming more professional. You know, so that was another big reason for me. And of course, my retirement is from professional jiu-jitsu. I'm not saying I will never compete again and maybe at that level, but I know where I'm at in the next two or three years. If I go to compete, it'll be for fun and it'll be in the master's division, you know? Um, so walking into the tournament this weekend, walking onto the mat this weekend, I was very happy. I was very excited. I was very at peace and I was stepping on those mats to retire, not to win. So for me, the outcome did not matter at all. I think if anyone saw my fight, you know, she got on my back, she choked me. I think I had a smile on, you know, there was nothing that was gonna, you know, if, if I wanted to win, you know, that badly, it's, it, it might not be the right time to stop, you know? So that was another thing for me that the feeling of everything this past weekend was definitely reassurance that I'm doing the right thing. That's awesome. I'm curious, you kind of like mentioned um, the moment of getting tapped out. Like what was going through your head during that moment? Because you were like creeping up to get out of, you know, guard, right? And then it was like a quick little like turnaround. I mean, it was a split second. Like what was going through your head? It's such a good question because when I tell people what was going through my head, they think I'm crazy. Um, but I truthfully feel like this is a healthy relationship with jujitsu because I personally have witnessed a lot of unhealthy relationships with jujitsu where people who probably should step down or quit just don't, you know, or not quit. I don't like saying that word. Never say never. But again, professionalism of it. Most sports take certain requirements to get there and ours doesn't really. Um, so in that moment, I was actually winning the fight, you know, and I tend to be a very strategic um, fighter in IBJJF. And there is moments in the fight that I could have done other things. So when I was in that moment, the, the first thing I thought of was, do I really want to fight the next fight? Because here's the other thing too. I did not even train for this. It's not like I'm not training as much as these girls this last year. Again, lots of changes. I got kicked out of fight sports. And rather than finding a new gym, we took in autos that is in San Diego and bought a gym for strength and conditioning. So we've been doing what we can. But that was the other thing. Like I was in no, sh like really shape to be fighting these matches. And the other thing is the girl that I was fighting. Um, so she's somebody that we have fought for years now. And the fight I would have been going into next, I had never fought the girl. And I truthfully didn't want to lose and retire to somebody I'd never fought. If that makes sense. I like, I don't, if, if you watched like Liz, the girl I fought when I retired, she actually kind of cried with me when I hugged her. So regardless of if I gave up or gave in or whatever it was, it definitely happened the way it was supposed to. Because the more I think about retiring to somebody like her, actually the next two fights, obviously retiring as a world champion would have been cool. But if I would have lost either of the two next fights, I would have been retiring to somebody that I didn't have a past with. So 
I'm really happy that I was on the mat with somebody that I have history with, a good relationship, and that actually kind of shared those emotions with me. So there was a lot going through my head, but it was more so like, I came here for one reason, and it was to get off the mats. And she actually went on to win. And I think this was her first world title. So like, Aww. clearly it was exactly how it was supposed to be. Yeah, I think it's so cool when you talk about it, like the way that you are also thinking about the other girls too, um, not selfish on just being you, like it's my moment, it's my retirement, or it's like my moment on the mess. No, you're always thinking about the other women too and like what that represents for them when you were doing things. I'm not saying, of course you didn't lose because you wanted to, to lose, you know, but it's like, the way that you come up with, it's like, at least I lost to somebody that makes sense for me in that moment losing. Uh, I'm not going in there to take the moment from anybody else. Like you're always trying to bring that. And I think that's really important for us women in jujitsu to have that mindset too, that it's like, you, you don't need to be just like facing and trying to beat everybody. Like we're here together. We're here to make this sport grow. And of course we all want our wins, but at some point we're going to lose. And that's totally fine. That's somebody else that it's also working really hard on the other side and trying to get to that same point that we are. That's the highest on the podium. So I, I think having that mindset that it's not really common on our sport It's amazing and it, it's good for us to take something from that too and learn. Okay, if I lose, that's fine. That other girl is also working really hard. And look at her. She got to the first place. Um, she got her word tied. So like she deserved that, right? Like it was her moment. I think that's awesome too. Do you have a question, Nishi? Oh, no, I was just going to say it's a beautiful concept of, of giving back. Um, you see it in a lot of different sports um my family's really into motorcycle uh racing like motocross and um there was recently this past year kind of the same kind of thought it was it's amazing how strategic you were within the fight going through that process right and still fighting at the same time if you think about it but um they displayed the kind of the same thing you know the the leader was you know number one he was going through and he within the the race was calculating if i get second it will put the person behind me in front of me which then in the end will create a bigger distance between my lap my next opponent so it's just amazing at being at that top level and being able to calculate those risks and and to determine like what your outcome is as you're physically trying to fight like i go blank when <laughs> when i'm just rolling so that's like crazy for you to be able to do that that's definitely the experience yeah I can have full conversations with myself on the mat when I'm competing. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't think I can do that too. Like all that thinking. I'm like, I'm going to try to focus on one specific thing right now and try to make that right. If I have a lot of thoughts, like I don't even know what's going to happen. I wanted to ask like how life it's going to look like nowadays. I know you have been going through this change for three years, like now, um, but what it's like next for you? How do you see yourself getting into 2024? I think just like finally committing to my business 100%, you know, I'm super happy with how much it's grown and how far I've come with it. So now for the first time to give it 100%, I can't wait to see what I do with that, you know, and I'm excited for all of like the different ways that I want to 
grow with it too, because I really, more than anything, you know, my goal is to stay very involved in the community of jujitsu um, because I feel like we need that. And what I mean by that is we don't always need more athletes, right? And I feel like in jujitsu, something that obviously it's growing like incredibly, but there is definitely still sometimes that like 50-50 choice. It's like, okay, do I go after the athlete thing or, or do I do this? when I feel like we need more people coming into our community wanting to bring in new markets and new opportunities and new ways to make it more professional. Because truthfully, the less athletes we have, the more professional jujitsu becomes, you know? Of course, it's amazing that jujitsu allows everybody to compete and that's what makes it different than anything else, you know? But we have divisions and whatnot for that. You know, when I think of my role in the sport, I do want to look at it more towards, you know, the athlete side, the professional side, in a sense of coming in and doing the strength and conditioning for athletes. You know, that's definitely what I want to do or what I plan on doing in 2024 is sponsoring some of the top, top ranked athletes through strength and conditioning um, just to, you know, add that, that extra edge. Cause again, if you look at any other sport, um, in the world, there's, you know, coaches for each different specific area and recent times now, you know, the coaches are finally getting some recognition in a sense of, you know, Danaher, Melky Delval, the Mendez brothers clearly do amazing. Um, when I'm looking at people who are just coaches, obviously there's the ones that compete and, coach but they're still competing right so they still have that little bit of that in them rather than being able to just focus on athletes 100 and that's what i want to be able to do on top of you know um the hobbyists that i train at my gym it's everybody from miami it's not just athletes you know so of course i want to change people's lifestyles through my business but i also do want to be involved in our community helping it become more and more professional and definitely focusing on the females, you know, for sure. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I wanted to ask you um, as a coach and also as an athlete um, and then thinking about a tournament like Words No Gates, a big tournament, how do you prepare yourself for how, like what recommendations would you have for other girls that are maybe don't have a coach for strength, um, how would you prepare for those big tournaments? Like, is there a different focus? Should you try to match like your training at the school with your strength training? Is there like, when it's get closer to the day of the matches, would you take a little bit off of that strength training? Um, also, I know you were, you're probably involved with that too, like your nutrition, your mental health, like what are those little things that you can do to get there more prepared for that competition? Right. I mean, we can't not be our best selves in life without help. And that's something that most people learn later on in life, sometimes too late. Um, you know, but it's all about knowing what you're good at and advancing in that, becoming an expert at what you're good at, focusing on what you're good at and letting people help you in the areas that you're not good at or investing in areas you know that you're not good at right so if i think of myself i'm obviously very good at strength and conditioning 
the body of science, all of that. You know, I'm also very good at management in a sense of a gym. Those are two things I'm really good at. When it comes to, um, let's say, the marketing side of things, I hate marketing. So I'm going to hire somebody for marketing, right? Content creating. I like to do it. I usually have the good ideas, but I don't want to take the four hours to do the one video. So, okay, I'm going to hire somebody there, somebody to manage my... So it's about creating a team to make you your best self because you're never going to be able to do it on your own. So for those who are really looking, obviously I came from a more business um, mindset, but for an athlete, right? You need to have, you have your, your pie chart, right? And you have, okay, here's sleep, here's mental, here's physical, here's jujitsu. Um, so it's like, okay, for sleep, how do I make that work? Okay, here's my sleep schedule. When it comes to my mental, right? Who do I talk to? Who do I go to? Because we know, especially as females, I think every female has cried on the mat, right? We all do it. It's not something that really ever goes away. We all have our moments crying on the mat. It's like you need to make sure you have somebody in your space that you're able to go talk to. And if it's not a therapist, it can be, you know, a higher belt. It can be um, the owner of the gym. But it's going to be very important to get to your elite level to make sure you have somebody that you can talk to about your, your mindset, a coach, um, you know, a, a mental coach, whatever it may be. Same thing with physical training. And yeah, of course, if you can afford it, you get your own coach. You can come talk to me, whatever it may be. But if not, there's going to be someone in your gym, you know, that you see working out or see, use the resources around you, but never be afraid to ask for help and make sure you have someone in those areas that you are not an expert at. Once you can do that, once you can let people in, once you can create, you know, a team of people that help you be your best and you're, of course, probably giving back at the same time, that's what it takes. You know, and that's what we see when you, if you go to, the, to an Instagram of any of the top competitors, you're going to see usually a mental coach tagged, you're going to see a video of them working out. You're going to see a video, you know, a picture of them with their coach. You're going to see a video of them doing drills. It's like, if you want to be the best, go look at what the best are doing, right? That's the greatest thing about Instagram. I mean, hopefully, right? Everyone knows me. I like to be transparent, um, but it's like, that's it. If there's something you want in life, go see somebody who has it, what they're doing, talk to them figure it out. You know, the resources are everywhere. It's just either being afraid to ask for help or not having the drive or motivation to want to go out and figure it out. Yeah. I think it's like when you talk about, um, the non-professionalism that it still exists in jujitsu, that's one thing that's really important. I think a lot of the times we think of like, I don't need anybody. Jiu-Jitsu is a sport that I can do by myself and it just depends on me. And that's completely wrong. Like for anybody that is in that high level of competition, you, you need people around you to kind of like support you and give what you need. Like you said, we're good in specific things. We're going to need other people to add to that. And if you don't make that decision, you don't realize that as early as you can, it might take forever. You never achieve that 
high level that it could, right? Right. Yeah. Like if you look at any of, you know, the elite athletes in the world, right? Serena Williams, all the, you know, the women, the men, the LeBron Jameses, all of those people. The difference with jujitsu is the way that those athletes were raised. And it goes back to what you were kind of just saying. Jiu-jitsu is on your own, right? You can go to training when you want. You don't have to go to training when you want. But if you really want to be the best, it's not just about showing up every day. You have to be there every day. You know, like on a normal sport, practice isn't an option. Like if you're not at practice, you're not playing. You're not, you know, so it's like, and I think that's why I probably transitioned into the sport and had a lot of success quickly, just based on my background of being an American athlete and what it takes to be an American athlete, because it's so it requires way more than what jujitsu does at this point. You know, at this point, it's not on time. It's early. And if you're not, the whole team is running or you're not you're asked to go home. You know, again, like I said, if you miss a day of practice, you're not going, you know, to the tournament. And of course, a lot of the times jujitsu is different because there's the paying member side of it. But most of these professional athletes, they are not paying their gym memberships. And that right there, you should be there every day. You know, if somebody is giving you that type of um, help, you know, you need to take advantage of it how a professional athlete would. It's kind of interesting what you're touching on of the professionalism in that aspect, because I came from, um, don't laugh at me, but I came from like a karate background in like the 90s, right? <laughs> and But it's very different with jiu-jitsu, like me coming in um, and when I did in 2011, like I was expecting it to be more traditional and have that very much like respect factor you know you have your sensei and you know you, you guys are all respectful and your uniforms are pristine and you know your nails are cut and you know what I mean there was just like a certain part of professionalism when I was in that or um that environment when I was younger and coming into Brazilian jiu-jitsu there wasn't. And it, it was always super shocking to me. And I even have like conversations with the professors at my studio, you know, uh, of like, why isn't it like this? You know, it is a martial arts. Like, why don't we have this type of environment? And it's very minimal, you know, um, in some of the studios, if you go, you know, um, around, they don't even have like traditional like bowing or anything like that, you know, um, or like mandatory role sessions, which is crazy to me. Like, I'm like, what's like, <laughs> what kind of gym is this? That's just my thought and perception, you know, um, but you, you touch on something that it is lacking because you have this like jujitsu for everyone mentality, um, which kind of makes it really convoluted um, when, you know, you step onto the mats and who you're rolling with and who you're not, even if you're not a professional and you're just a hobbyist. Yeah, I think it it's, it also changes too because from my gym when I started in Brazil, uh, it was different from the gym that we are at right now. I think because jujitsu is becoming also not it it's not anymore that sport that's just for let's fight and just people that are going to fight and like kill each other. It's going into more of a business right now. There is a lot of this and it, 
I'm, I'm not saying this is right or wrong, but I think there's a lot of this little like um, things like we have in judo of being more strict. It's kind of living on the side because when you go into business, not a lot of people want to follow all those rules and then it's harder for you to grow your gym. So I think a lot of the like jujitsu gym owners, they kind of live it on the side a little and not being so strict with it because they don't want to lose the students. Like they don't want to lose those people. Right. I mean, I think, I think it's from my experience, you know, I think it's about, again, we have to separate the two, right? There's like the pro training and then there's the regular class. I mean, that's at the gyms that I've been at, obviously as an athlete, I've chosen gyms or gone to gyms where there's the professional training. They, they have to be different, you know, again, the pro training is probably going to be 95% nobody's paying, right? And then every other class is 100% everybody's paying. So for, for like the, let's call it hobby classes, executive classes, um, for those, I'm much more lenient, you know, because I know a lot of people are coming there for an escape. A lot of people are coming there for therapy. Like you said, it's more of a business. They're not cut like... If you do too much of this, they're out, you know, like there's a time and there's a place for that. You know, I've had like some of my girls at my old gym, they wanted to train at the night class and I'm sitting there watching her just like rip people apart, like male white belts. I'm like, I get pro training is hard for you because you're a smaller girl, but you cannot come to the evening class and rip male white belts apart. You know, it's like there definitely needs to be the balance between like, okay, who considers themselves a professional athlete and who is here to train and learn jujitsu, you know? But again, at the end of the day, it's, it's still just a different culture. And for me, um, we started training jujitsu at our gym because our, our members were asking for it. And one of my goals this year is to be able to open a completely separate space for jujitsu. And part of what I want to do is I do want to build a team. I do want athletes. And with how I was raised and how I took the sport um, professionally, you know, through my years of competing, that is the environment that I am going to create during that pro training time, you know? And I'm, I'm also somebody like I want to be more... Um, interactive with my athletes, you know, because again, it's hard because here it would feel weird. I do this, but most people would feel weird texting their professor and being like, ah, I'm not going to make it to training today. You know, cause that's just not, you don't have to do that in jujitsu. Whereas again, as an athlete in America, you don't text your coach. You're not going to make it. You bring them a doctor note you're usually sitting on the side watching, you know what I mean? It's very different. And that's the thing, Art. And I think that's what keeps jujitsu from being professional, from it being in the Olympics, from it growing in those ways. It's not, you know, everyone keeps coming up with a new event, a new event, a new event. It's not the events. It's the athletes who aren't consistently taking this seriously in a way that professional athletes are supposed to take something. So that's the thing when it comes to, to gyms, you know, 
and having the, I think the balance of both. If you want that competition, you know, team and, and name, of course, there's people who just hobby and if you want to compete, go for it. That's not their responsibility to kind of overshadow you. But for me as a coach, that's what I want. You know, if you don't text me, you're not going to be here. I'm going to be texting you. Where the F are you? You know, And you better have a good excuse and you're probably going to get punished for it, especially if you're not paying a membership. You know, it's like if you're going to be representing my team, if you're going to be getting on the mats representing my name, I'm going to hold you to a certain standard or you can pay your membership and do whatever the F you want. Especially because you have the other people on the team that need them. It's not like jujitsu is not a type of sport that you can just like, oh, I'm expecting Maggie to come and train with me today. But Maggie didn't show up, didn't tell me that she wasn't going to show up. Like, how am I going to train? I have that time of the day, right? Exactly. And that happens a lot, too. When it's not your time, like, oh, I can take off. And that's obviously the issue between team sport and individual sport. You know, and people always ask me, because I was always a team sport. And people always ask me, like, oh, do you feel more pressure, you know, with jujitsu? I'm like, no. If I lose, it's my fault. If I win, it's my fault. When I was on a team, if I messed up the pass, if I missed the goal, if I didn't show up, if I was sick, you know, that's pressure. A team not being able to perform because you're not there. But we have to see it like that too. Be that extra body, be the person on the side coaching so they get used to, co there's so many things we can do as teammates. Like people want to be like, oh, that's my team. Like some people don't even know, under understand what it means to be a teammate in our sport. Yeah. How do you think we could change that that culture? Like um, you come from that, from that different background and you already have that in mind and it's kind of uh, automatic for you. But um, I think for most of us that don't come from that, and especially Brazilians, we're really like, we're talking about it before we started, like really relaxed. Like we do the things on our own Brazilian time. It's like super, <laughs> you know, like how, how do you change that culture? Like how do you foster that? into your gym and also like for other people that would want to see that change on their gyms too. It's like I said at the beginning and I, and as I said, one of my goals going into 2024 is influencing people to bring more markets into jujitsu. You know, it's the same thing. It's, we need less is less is more in a sense of athletes, but more is more in a sense of resources, right? If you look at a basketball team, How many people on the court? Five. How hard do you think it is to be a professional basketball player? Extremely hard. How many professional jiu-jitsu athletes are there? You can wake up tomorrow and call yourself a professional jiu-jitsu athlete because you compete in adults. That's the, like, the, that's the issue, you know? That's the first issue is not me. That's not my job. But the events need to make it more prestigious to be able to be professional which of course like who's number one is doing because that's an invite thing you know but the black belt division of ibjjf i wouldn't call it professional at, at this point at this point anybody can sign up it's easy to get yes you need points to do worlds but it's easy it takes getting on the podium which you can you don't have to fight to do mind you you know so that's definitely the first um um part of it and then like i said coaches like 
I mean, I, I've trained at Danaher's before. He's not texting people, where are you? You know what I mean? But his sole focus is his athletes. That's an invite-only gym. You can't go there and pay and sign up. You know, that's what we need. We need more people giving to athletes to put them on a standard that is more professional. You know, so like I said, I want to be the type of coach where you're feared and respected. You know, like, yes, I want to learn under you and I'm going to show up because you scare me a little bit. You know, there is, every athlete is a little bit scared of their coach unless you show up on time and you put in the work. Then there's nothing to be afraid of, you know, and you'll see it. All these people who are on the top of the podium, they are training every day, twice a day. They majority of them don't have other jobs Majority of them have a very good professor. Like you see it now, the people at the tops of the podium, it's five different teams. You know, it's not Lira BJJ. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's the other thing too. Everybody wants, somebody asked me today when I open a gym, if I plan on being autos. Yes. That's the other way our sport is going to become more professional is less teams. You know, the more teams that, that people join, the bigger it gets. And then there can be other types of, you know, like who's number one, does this team versus that team? You know, then it is becoming a little bit more professional. But again, when you have everybody in their mom opening everybody in your mom's jiu-jitsu, it, it, it gets hard, you know, because there's not enough resources either. So that's really what I think it is, is people stepping into the community to want to make it more professional, not better athletes or more athletes yeah i think there's a lot of ego on our sport too and that that might be it like you said yeah right <laughs> just a lot of it um i wanted to ask maggie going into your business now champion fit um how does your programs work like in person and online what's the difference um i know you have other athletes not just jiu-jitsu athletes but what would be the difference um for jiu-jitsu athletes doing your training for other athletes i wanted to talk a little bit about it yeah so there isn't a difference um if you come you know to one of my classes tonight there's going to be jiu-jitsu athletes there's going to be rugby athletes there's going to be baseball players there's going to be a grandma's there's going to be moms there's going to be brother it's going to be like across the board my youngest member is 17 and my oldest is 53. The one's a soccer player one is a mom that's a blue belt in jiu-jitsu and does it because her daughter does You know, I have a grandma that just works out and they're all going to work out at the same time. What Champion Fit is and why I developed it is I believe that everybody was made to be athletic and we just limit our bodies from doing so in multiple ways. One, by not working out. Oh, I do jujitsu, so I don't need to work out. There's that, you know, there's a second thing that people don't know how to work out. So they're doing squats, deadlifts, bench press. You know, the major work of bicep curls that everybody knows how to do. And they're just doing those over and over again, not knowing there's hundreds of other muscles in the body that need to be focused on, especially as athletes. So it's like for jujitsu, you're in a new position every day. You're in, you know, your arms in a different place every day. So if you're not training every single muscle in your body, 
How is it going to react when you're playing your sport and especially for injury prevention? Mainly when I get hurt, it's muscular because my muscle contracted to protect my joint or, lig or ligament. And that's what we need our bodies doing. We need every muscle in our body fast, strong, lasting, and ready to be able to protect or perform, of course. Um, so the way that Champion Fit works is it's a five-day-a-week program. Each day complements each other. So you can do all five days a week, and it's not going to take anything away from you. It's not going to be overtraining. Um, you can skip a day and you're, it's not like you're missing something because the other days are going to make up for it. And then I always tell people too, that you should, whenever you're doing something for a sport, you should be adding to your sport. So I know a lot of people that will do Olympic lifting, which is kind of the lifts that I just touched upon or CrossFit to help with their jujitsu. Olympic lifting and CrossFit are both sports. I don't do basketball to get better at soccer, right? So when you're trying to do another sport to get better at your sport, you're actually taking away from it. So that's what I mean. Your strength and conditioning should be adding to it. So for instance, when my husband and I train, and even when we were at fight sports, the pro champion fit would be at eight, and then our pro training would be at nine. So we would go right from our workout onto the mat. And the reason is, is because champion fit, even though you'll get sore in some areas than other here and there, it's always full body, which most sports are full body. So if I go to the gym and I do leg day, which the next leg day I can do is in three days, but I'm going to jiu-jitsu at night, I'm never going to recover. So that's why for me, especially jujitsu, it doesn't make sense to do body specific days. Even when I do lifts, Shay knows these, um, they're four rounds of 20 reps, which sounds like a lot, but when do you ever do one to five reps of anything in jujitsu? You don't, right? So we need to be creating muscles that aren't just strong, but last. So that's what Champion Fit does is one, it makes you athletic. It shows your body things you can do that you didn't know you could do. It makes you ready for everyday life. Like I get it a lot from my normal clients. You know, I have a girl who works on, um, on uh, music videos, right? So she's like carrying my equipment is so much easier now. Like things like that, you know, picking things up. We just limit ourselves, you know, from being athletic. So it does that. And then the slogan is look like an athlete, you know, because that's the body type it will get give you. That majority of the population would be cool with having an athletic physique. On top of um, injury prevention, and that's on the mats and off. So, yeah, look like an athlete, perform like a champion. So champion fit. It, it caters towards both people, the average human that just wants to be athletic. And then of course our athletes that want to become champions. That's great. And um, Shay did with you that to the online program. I'll, I can let her also speak for it. Like how was it for you Shay to get that, um, that's specific like look into yourself and into your daily basis. Um, the way that you're doing, we don't live in, Miami, for example, we are in California, uh, 
but you're also able to get all of that from Maggie too. Um, I'll let you talk about it a little bit. Yeah. So I'm in my second week and, um, it, it, it's an amazing program. Like I was able to do a workout, you know, um, and then go to jujitsu the next, uh, that night. So in the morning, say workout and the jujitsu at night. And it, like she was saying, like, it didn't limit me, um, in my role sessions and I wasn't dying, you know, I was just sore everywhere. And I just continued that soreness all last, <laughs> all last week, but it wasn't debilitating. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't feel like, Oh my gosh, I can't sit down because I'm so sore. Or like my husband can't touch my legs because they're so sore getting back into it. Um, and then all of the workouts that she's giving, I can see at least because I do jujitsu, they are going to help me. And even though I've been doing jujitsu, I've been back how, how long, uh, Babby, for like almost three years now, I think. Almost three years. And I have been consistently going to jujitsu. Um, but it's amazing the muscles that you're having me use that I'm that I'm not even using necessarily in jujitsu, you know what I mean? I'm just like, oh, wow. Sometimes, yeah, they sometimes they just don't activate. Yeah, yeah. Or, or you're not using them as frequently, right? Um, but they are they are mimicking the positions that um, I would be in jujitsu doing, you know, on a regular role session. So I'm super excited. And I am in sore in places I never thought I would be sore right now. And, um, and it is also like... <laughs> Um, and what I am finding out is, uh, I, I'm, I'm not as balanced as I thought I was, you know what I mean? Like doing jujitsu, you think, oh, I, I have a lot of balance. I'm agile and I'm doing these workouts and I'm like, oh man, I have, I have to step up my game. Like I, I'm a little, little off balance here. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a full body workout that I'm getting. And she provides a great, you know, motivation and um, check-ins with her programs online. So you're not missing out if you're not in Miami. Yes, I love that. Uh, Maggie, I wanted to ask you, um, we know that you have been, and like in the last decade, there were big transitions in your life, chapters ending. Um, like you said, you're pretty open about it. And who follows you have been like following that going on. I wanted to ask you what were the top two challenges that you have experienced? and also your biggest highlights, maybe in the last decade? Wow, such cool questions. Um, I think my biggest highlights, that one's easier to answer. Um, you know, it, it, it's either like my second world title or the last one, you know, because I won Gi and No Gi Worlds every belt color back-to-back -back years. You know, and winning Purple Belt Gi Worlds, you know, the year after Blue Belt Worlds was very, very like, it was huge and it was hard to believe, you know, because it's that back to back. Like the third time it was like, okay, but then completing it all, you know, so Brown Belt Worlds would have been the completion of the back to back years in Gi and No Gi. Um, that, was, that was definitely like, one of the highlights, you know, of my, of my career, being able to just solidify, solidify that for sure. That was cool. And then challenging. Um, I mean, being, being a female in this sport, you know, especially 10 years ago, it's crazy. Like it, it feels like all that time didn't pass, you know? Um, but being a female in a male dominant sport is, is, is a hard thing to do. You know, but I love a challenge and I feel like I've done it pretty gracefully. 
Um, and I've done things um, with that challenge, you know, that I've accomplished that I feel really good about. And it's not, you know, my accomplishments competing because that was against other females, you know, so it's, it's not that it's, it's the present presence that I had in, you know, one of the top gyms in the world, the amount I was on the mat teaching um, at the pro training, leading the pro training, the amount of, you know, athletes that I trained strength and conditioning, um, the athletes that I've been in corners for, you know, so I think the biggest challenge um, for in this sport is I am kind of a natural leader and, and being a natural leader coming into a world where there aren't many female leaders was a challenge. And um, I'm kind of happy with the, the footprints that I left and that are continuing to step all over that challenge. What, what were some of, some of those challenges that you, you faced as a woman? Like, what would be like an example of that? Right, exactly. Um, so again, you know, it's just for me, I'm not, I, I, I'm definitely not a feminist. You know, because sometimes I believe that's not equality. I feel like it's a little bit too one-sided sometimes. Um, and I'm somebody who's much more about the practice than the preach when it comes to gender, you know, roles and hierarchies and all of that. So even when I got to fight sports, I didn't start a workout class. I didn't, you know, drag people to come work out with me. I just worked out. You know, I did because I've done my workouts on my own for since, um, oh goodness, like since the high school. So I, I just would go, I would do my workouts and then obviously the titles would come. So it wasn't like people were seeing the workouts and they looked fun and challenging and they wanted to try or I looked strong. You know, it's like I showed putting in the work, you know, and then I showed with the results and you know people kind of just started to filter in um and then the that was obviously the strength and conditioning was a little bit more easy based on me showing up and working out and then titles in a sense of you know the more integration into the coaching aspect on the mats um, i went to university for health science and sport exercise but i did a focus in coaching like i was taught how to coach on top of being an American athlete. You don't really make it if you're not coachable. I think that's really important for a coach to also be coachable. So I think that helped in a sense. I always had good relationships with my coaches. I would react well with what they were telling me slash performing that. Um, so there was definitely that aspect of it. And then of course we always start the woman's program, right? The woman leader starts the woman class. She's not teaching the other classes, but she's starting the woman's class, um, which, you know, I did that of course too. And then I think the results that my females started to get, you know, had a little bit of an edge on that. And of course, you know, my ex was the owner of the gym. So my partner was the owner of the gym. So of course there was a trust, you know, from him to me where um, when I would injure, when I was injured, I would kind of, you know, just start keeping the time or this and that. But again, because of how I was raised in sport, I know how to organize a practice. I know, you know, what is too much and what is too little. I know how to pull back on days that need to be pulled back. So again, I think it was just showing up. Sometimes keeping your mouth shut is the best thing you can do and just show up. 
And I'm, I'm a very big believer in, in actions speak louder than words. And I think that's kind of how I handle every challenge. That's awesome. Um, Maggie, I wanted to ask you what kind of legacy you want to leave um, in the sport, not just in jiu-jitsu, but being a coach. Now you're dealing with many different sports. Like what kind of legacy you want to leave for your students? I think the legacy I want to leave is being seen as an equal and not a dominant female in the sport, you know, because again, as much as we want to preach and do the kind of woman only things, that's to, to me, that's not equality, you know, because it's kind of saying, why can't guys have a guys only class if we're going to do that? You know, I want to leave a legacy where I'm a female that's involved in a male's world and, and bringing females along with me rather than doing things with and for females separately. So I kind of think that's the, the legacy I want to, to um, leave is a very inclusive and integrated legacy in a world that is obviously now becoming more equal, but definitely in a male dominant world. Yeah. Uh, talking about that, like, how do, just a, a, a small question actually is, um, how do you think it would be easier? Because what I see on my gym, for example, a lot of the women, they, they don't feel comfortable doing the class with the men. Like even today there was a girl there and she was like, oh my God, there are no girls in class. Like, what am I going to do? And I'm like, you're fine. Like you're, you're completely fine. The prof she was new. And I'm like, the professor can help you to pick your partners because you don't know anybody yet. But it's like, It is uh, like a fear of a lot of the women. Like, how do you change their mindset as they're like coming into the gym? Because for me, I've been doing jujitsu for like eight, nine years now. And since my first day, I was never the type of person that I'm like, I don't want to roll with the guys. I never had that problem. And at my gym, there wasn't a lot of girls too. But it is a thing that a lot of the girls face today. And it's like, how do you, do you, change their, that mindset of them for them to understand that it's fine, it's safe, and it's actually good for them to train with men, because I think it's great. Yes. Oh, I, I agree. I agree. Um, the issue a lot is, you know, most people who are appointed to teach a class are good at jujitsu, right? They're good at jujitsu. They're not actually taught how to be inclusive. You know, they're not taught how to speak to people. They're not, some are natural at it and they do great, you know, but not every competitor is a good professor and not every professor is a good competitor. It's the same thing. Just because I can make you understand how to do an arm bar does not mean I'm a good coach or a good professor, right? To me, it's like I said, there's the pie chart and it's got to hit everything. So that's an education to our professors, right? And not just female, being the only female and being the new student is a perfect comparison. Hold, hold their hand, like not obviously hypothetically, you know, that person needs to feel comfortable. It's not just like you said, you know, you said it best, oh, the, the professor, you know, can pair you up. Yeah, that's the least of what they should be doing. You know, they should be standing close while they're rolling, making sure they're giving the same amount of attention that they are to everybody else, even checking in, you know, because again, if I walk on the mat, I'm not going to care. But like you're saying, there are those people who are uncomfortable being that only female 
So that is completely, completely, it's not the students, it's not their responsibility, it's the professor's responsibility to make sure that that, that, that um, girl will want to come again, regardless if she's going to be the only one or not. I see a lot of the times, you know, the professors kind of pair them with a student who's going to take care of them well, and they leave it. But that student isn't going to make them come back. It's the professor. So yes, pair them up with a student that's going to take care of them, but make sure you're coming back around to make sure they're okay, to make sure that they feel good. Don't make them feel like you put them off on someone who could handle them better. So for me, it's completely the professor. Makes a lot of sense. I have a question. How how do you combat, like, talking about women and, like, coming in and, you know, obviously new to jiu-jitsu, um, how do you overcome, like, if they are paired up with a guy, um, that whole mentality of, like, the ego, right? Because that comes into play, especially if you're an aggressive woman um, rolling and you may not know something. Or if you do know something, you've been there for a long time. I think those egos do play into it a lot. So how do you combat that? Like, what are your thoughts? So I always look at the opposite because I get this question asked at every single seminar, right? And we are always attacking from this side. It is so much harder for a man to roll with a female than a female to roll with a man. Physically harder for us, yes. But that's where we stop instead of looking at the bigger. For us to get beat by a guy that's not going to kill our ego, it's like it's not an issue, right? It shouldn't be. But at the end of the day, we're in a world where guys shouldn't get beat by girls and girls need to understand that, you know? So it's about knowing who you can and cannot train with at the end of the day. You know, there's gonna, and, and also not having an ego back. Like when I go to roll with guys, right? There's all different types. There's the guys that go too easy and are gonna let me do whatever I want. Okay, cool. Don't get upset about that. He doesn't know how to handle you. He doesn't know how to handle his strength. He's uncomfortable, right? So don't get mad at him. You know, practice what you want to practice and then maybe never roll with him again. Because that's the other thing. You can always say no to anyone ever, always, right? And then the other, the other side of it, right, is we get the guys that are just too strong. Really? Tap. Tap as you would if it was a female beating. Like, you you, you know what I mean? Like, if you don't want to tap to a guy that's stronger than you, you can't blame his ego. You know? Because it is always going to be so much more uncomfortable for majority of the guys. Of course, we have men who should not be on the mat with women. We get it. There's going to be just, like, there's bad doctors, bad, bad jujitsu people. It's everywhere. But majority of the time, especially in the more executive hobbyist class, you know, that's where you get the, the, they're not inappropriate. They're just strong and have an ego, you know, but most of the time it's, I always educate my, my women. And at seminars, I always say, you have to put yourself in the guy's position. It's way harder. As a female, right? If say you're going to get somebody that does Obviously, every guy, even if they're the same stature as you, they're going to be stronger than you no matter what. Um, so if you say, like, say you're going to get somebody that is the same stature um, and they do have an ego, do you kind of, like, 
do you feed into that and just like let it let it happen and you still roll with them because it's a good roll session but you just don't challenge them as much so that they don't get too too aggressive or do you just stay away from them like right yeah no there's there's like especially as I got older in jujitsu the less people I rolled with you know I would rather roll with I would rather get a good I would rather get three good rolls with the same person than three okay rolls because I want to roll with different people right you know and for me my male training partners um, that I'm equal with, they're all 20 to 30 pounds lighter than me because I'm a girl. And if they're the same weight as me, they will be stronger, you know? So that's the other issue that people have is like, oh, well, me and my husband are the same height and similar weight. Cool. Add 20 pounds to it. Add 20 pounds, you know? And I always tell people too, open mats, go crazy, whatever, have fun. But when it comes to your training... You know, right, Shay, let's say you're uh, a purple belt, you're my same weight, and you give me the best training. I'm going to roll with you, and then I'm going to go roll with a white belt that I can kind of play with. And then I'm going to come back to you. And then I'm going to go to one of the black belt guys that I know isn't going to hurt me, and it's going to be kind of my defense practice slash cardio training, and then I'm going to come back to you. Like, that's the thing. To get better in jujitsu, we have to roll with people who are going to make us better. And in order to get better, you have to know my game. If I'm rolling with a bunch of different people or people I can't do my game on, my game is never going to advance and it's never gonna get better. And that happens a lot with girls too. Like there's that girl you go hard with, you go with her maybe once because she asked or your professor told you to and then you're running away from her. Why are you running away from her? Like I've had, I've had 20 girls on the map before. And like you see one of them going over and rolling with the guy. I'm just like, how does that make any sense? You know? So that's the other thing too. It's like there's a time to like go crazy and train with a bunch of people. But majority of the time, less is more. That's amazing. It opened my mind a lot because a lot of the times I, I'm trying to go with different people because in my mind was like it's better because it's different games. But that makes a lot of sense. Wait, just you there so this is going to make it make even more sense right how many siblings are there in jiu-jitsu that are world champions yes and it's not because they've always had a training partner it's because they've always had the same training partner because if you and i train together every day first we're starting with our a game until that doesn't work so now you're adding the b game and the c game all the way from a to z That's how your, your game gets better by training with the same person, not with a bunch of different people. Your game gets better by learning from a bunch of different people. And of course, competing in this and that, you can always learn something from everybody. But if you're, let's say, getting ready for you know a camp, it's not, I'm gonna make sure I roll with Shay once a day. No, it's gonna, I'm gonna make sure I roll with Shay every other round so that she stops my A game and forces me to get all the way to E, F, and G before the round is done. I got you, girl. I got you, girl, Babby. <laughs> It's the same thing. How many times do you fight the same person? All the freaking time. Uh, I'm like, I'm sorry, Shay. When I'm prepping for a competition, it's going to be you and me all day long. <laughs> I love it. That's it. That's it. You guys are going to get so good. 
Oh my God, I love it. Maggie, for us to finish, um, I just want to ask you, what's BJJ Hood for you? BJ Hood for me is exactly what I'm talking about in a sense. We need more markets, right? Especially females, right? There's two females sitting in front of me talking to another female about jujitsu. Regardless if five people hear it or a million people hear it, this is what we need to keep putting jujitsu on the mat is people coming into our sport and creating different areas of opportunity, right? Podcasts media content all of those things so for you guys you guys are literally just another one of those stepping stones that is getting females to where not just females right not just females to where we need to be in jujitsu but jujitsu as a whole so thank you guys for that thank you thank you so much for your time today it was awesome to talk to you to hear a little bit more about you um, i hope we can see each other in competitions in the future seeing you coaching there you know meeting person Hey, and there's never like a bad reason to come to Miami. Of course. I, I was there like a few months ago. I'm definitely coming back and then I'll come to your gym. Next time you guys are here, please let me. I, and I might be scared of you. Just to let you know, Maddie. <laughs> <laughs> you better be. <laughs> oh, perfect. If you like this episode, make sure you share with a friend. I'm sure Everybody can learn a little bit from Maggie here today. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, on YouTube, and your favorite podcast platform. We'll be back next Thursday with another episode. See you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Would you like to share your story? Email us at bjjhoodpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at bjjhoodpodcast.com.